Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui Huen, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Guy. And Brian Schmidt. Brian? 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 Brian. <laughs> He's Brian's out for not, today. Brian's not here. Yeah. It's the holidays. He's got kids. It's it's rough. I hey, know. I got kids too. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So... This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account. Right now, we have one level. We're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. And we'd like to thank our newest patron, Peter Bates, for his pledge. Thank Thank you, you, Peter. Thank you. And uh, we sincerely hope that you'll give us your support. And stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our shops. And I actually have woodworking going on in my shop. I know. You shared, you shared some photos with me. I yeah. know. And I'll, yeah. I'll talk about that. All right. So let's get into it. Hui, you've got the first question. All right. So this question is from Tom, and he puts here, Tom, Tom Figgity Figora. The Tom? <laughs> the Tom Figora. Right. Gentlemen, sorry that I have not rapped at y'all in a while. Well... I didn't know you wrapped, Tom. But winter is for snowboarding, and I tend to lose the plot in the shop. But whilst shushing down the slopes, I have been contemplating spring projects, n- namely a bridge for my stream slash river. And I say slash is because it is usually a stream, but two or three times a year it gets pretty rowdy. The last time it washed the existing 16-foot-long bridge off its moorings 90 degree 90 degrees so it now sits parallel to the stream <laughs> instead i'm sorry i gotta laugh instead We've of talked it, about this before i think d- did we okay yeah, uh, instead of across it this bridge was made that's right he did mention it we've uh, talked about his bridge before right right but but it was still existing i think then yeah the bridge was made of pressure treated lumber two by twelves uh four feet wide heavy and chained to pins and boulders so the water has some force when she's angry. Instead of trying to lever and pulley the bridge back into place, let's build a new one. You guys know I love Black Locust. Yes, we do. And it's perfect for something like this with water and ground contact outside. But I want to get fancy. Do an arch, which will also help with the bridge washing out issue. For something of this size, how would you go about creating the curve? It needs to be at least 16 feet long, flat at length. Arch will rise probably about two feet on a 20 foot radius. Oh my goodness, okay. So steam bending is out of the question. Would you glue up a panel of two by material and then cut the curve out of it or maybe even just use a big old slab? or make a big form and bent lamination. I figure I need to make two of these curved beams for the sides of the bridge, and I probably won't paint it, just one more thing to keep up with. This is the one time where I probably won't have already done the thing I am asking you about, so by the time you hear the question, by the time you answer the question, so wait for the, ba- I'm waiting with bated breath. Okay, so this is really interesting. Um, yeah, First off, I, I think you and I probably know nothing about building bridges. <laughs> well, I think you have a better handle on it since you are a mechanical engineer. Am I incorrect in that? 
no, no, y- y- you are correct. Um, All right. So, so in my, other words, we don't want to hear from you. Um, <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. So my concern, I, I wouldn't do a bent, bent lamination. My concern is with the glue delaminating with the water exposure. That's my concern. What I would probably do is kind of what he mentions here and go along the lines of like half lapping material together and creating that curve and almost like um like a segmented bowl having sections of it that are joined together at the ends with uh some type of tenons you could use loose tenons or or whatnot um, and then laminating that together so that you get the thickness that you need for those arches. That's probably what I would do. Um, what are your thoughts, Guy? Well, I'm not a rocket scientist. And <laughs> I don't play one on TV either. I know I use that joke all the time. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, you do. Um, <laughs> I, I And I'm not a, an engineer. And I, I daily in my job, I, since I design all the most of the furniture now where I am, mm-hmm. I'm constantly vexed by certain engineering problems. Thankfully, the, the guy who's my boss, our VP of engineering, our VP of production, he's a mechanical engineer. So if I have questions, I can go to him. Okay. And they mostly have to do with a lot of the stress on some of these things because we're asked to build, you know, big curved things and things sure. that I know that there's going to be some issues with weight. When I look at this and not being able to consult a real mechanical engineer, we, um, <laughs> I think of a, I think of the the, I think of the bridge, mm-hmm. and I think of the architecture of a tunnel, sure, especially yes. at the entrance and the exits, mm-hmm. where there's short stones that culminate in a keystone at the at top the center. Yes. yes and all the and the way i understand that structure to work is that the pressure is pushed down mm-hmm. and then out and then towards the footings correct yes correct yep so mm-hmm. i don't see why you couldn't do the same thing instead yes. of having these big and i think that's what you're talking about Hui. Y- ex- it's same exactly thing. same thing instead yep. of instead of making you know like two segments or cutting it in half or like four segments cutting in quarters but cutting into segments that may be like one or two feet long yes yes i agree and just edge butting them together but Mm -hmm. making it three or four layers deep and alternating that pattern yes so it's almost like bricklaying yeah it's like bricklaying but but in in reverse bricklaying horizontally oh, instead of vertically right right yeah. right yeah. yeah you're building up and i mm-hmm. think i i think that would be a good way to do it i think it would look pretty cool too and it'd give yep. you some a little bit more um artistic flexibility flexibility yeah. on the outside of those laminations that you could you know pick the best things that make sense on the outside i didn't know that that about black locust that it's really good for weather resistance yeah, it's got it's got good rot resistance because it's it's. I think I, I might be wrong, but I want to say it's within the hickory family. Am I wrong on that? I don't know. I thought it was more in the poplar family. It's kind of a soft wood, isn't it? 
Oh no, this black locust no. really hard. Yeah, it's oh, really. I, rough. I, I don't know. Well, I don't. I don't freaking know anything. <laughs> it's so, really rough on blades. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's, well, it's, we, we were we're going to be bidding a project pretty soon that we is an outdoor project, and they're these mm-hmm. big, weird, round, arched tables. Okay. And we were trying to figure out what material we we're going to make it out of. We didn't want to use teak because it's just so damn expensive. Yeah, um, teak is a really good outdoor wood. It's just it's yeah. just really expensive. We were really. Th- we were thinking about uh, using white oak, which is also really good outdoor wood. Yes, it's, we yes. we have a good supply of that on hand. But mm-hmm. black locust is a good because black locust around here is a uh, one of the woods that's native readily to Indiana. Available. Yeah, it's readily available in Indiana, so maybe we okay. can get it cheap. Anyways, I I, I you know. Just from what I know, which is not a whole hell of a lot, I think that we and I both came up with the same idea. As you were talking about it, we, I'm going like, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that, that's what I would do. So yeah. segmented, stacking it, uh, yep. offsetting the seams, cutting the, you know, and, and you might, uh, what is it, uh, bevel the end, no, miter the ends just so that, you know, you kind of get that help with the curve and whatnot and then you know, cut the outside. Yeah, I mean, but, you want to cut them to an angle yeah. where they meet because, like I said, the load has to distribute and go from the center and push its way out and then down, right? Yep, yep. I, I 100% agree. Yes, okay. totally. Yeah, right. we're on the same page there for sure. Right. So it sounds like we have an answer for you, Tom. I guess what we really want to know is have you done it yet? Yeah, I, I want to see it. <laughs> so, Tom, if you're listening, you, you, you know my you know my Instagram. You can send it to me or, or, or send it through the email and we'd love to see it. Yeah, so, all right. all right, guy, you all got right. the next one, buddy. All right. This comes from Paul Engel and Paul says, Hey fellas, great show. I've been listening for a couple of years and I've really elevated my game based on tips from y'all. Oh, That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, guy, thanks for the Incra TSLS videos. I got the combo version when I moved my router tables to the wing of my saw stop and I really love it. I- I'm glad you do because that is a great, Great fence. I have a follow-up from the February 24th edition. I think this is an older email. Um, Guy, you were pretty emphatic on your answer regarding connecting two Festool rails. I'm curious to know if your opinion was formed on the original style or the new version. If the former, have you had a chance to play with the new ones? I replaced my old set with the self-adjusting version and they seem rock solid to me. I leave a small gap between the rails in case the rails aren't exactly 90 degrees. I'm also careful when moving the joint rail from one sheet to another that I don't torque the joint. Just wondering which version your judgment was associated with. So what Paul's talking about is on Festool tracks, they have an accessory. So let's say you've got this eight foot long sheet of plywood. You can take two 52 uh, centimeter rails or 52 inch rails and put them together at 102 inch and it's long enough to cut an eight foot sheet. Yep. Um, So it's 2,800 millimeters. There are two 1,400 millimeter rails. The ones I'm, and and there's this piece, it's like a keystone a uh, keystone shaped piece and it or dovetail shaped piece and it goes in between the two tracks on the top and the bottom and it's got screws that lock it down and it's supposed to keep that thing straight. The only problem is as soon as you move it, it goes not so straight anymore. 
I know we had huge problems with it at work. I had problems with it in my shop, and I ended up buying um, a nine-foot rail. I mean, it literally goes from my floor all the way to the ceiling. At work, we have a 16-foot rail. I don't know how many millimeters that is. <laughs> it's like 80,000 millimeters. That's huge. A 16, we have 16. So- it goes on. We have a 22-foot deck which is pretty standard in a building of our size, and it goes almost all the way to the top. So wait a minute. So it's just one solid piece of rail? It's one solid 16-foot that, That still rail. makes a 16-foot rail? Really? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. But we've got it because we do a lot of 12- and 14-foot tables. Right. And right. it's not like you're putting them on the saw stop. Yeah, that's not And cutting them. So, uh, and we had some of those same fittings that went in between the rails and they just didn't work and no matter what you did you know and it's not that they didn't work but the people we had using them didn't use them properly and it just caused all kinds of problems yeah so when i used them i tried to use them properly i followed all the advice i watched youtube videos i watched I, i did this i did that i did everything i thought right and still the second i looked at them they bent somehow they're off just a little bit and like moving it around became you just yeah 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 it was just a pain and they didn't work right i did not know that they have a new type of self-adjusting i did not know either i do know let's 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 look it up right now okay we have the internet we we're actually connected to the internet while we're doing this Oh, I, I, I hear keyboards. I, I, I haven't even got to my mouse yet. All right. Well, here we go. So the connector SV dash slash two. F SV dash two. It is. Look at that. So you so it has the um the laser well it's not laser etched, but uh, it's um it's an area a slot that's cut out which allows the screws to tighten down inside of those uh, slots or those <laughs> grooves and uh-huh. it expands out it's similar like some of those uh miter gauges i want to say Incra uses something no Incra uses oh, I, I, I get how it might be more solid when you torque the screws down but does that right. really Again, that's a question for an engineer. Would yeah, that really I, make that much of a difference? So it looks like it's it's spreading out or, or, or splitting open that groove or that slot in there with the screws yeah. that are going in. And then so that I, I believe that's how it's self-centering. and so how it's, it's distributing the pressure over a wider area instead of just yeah. the one contact point directly underneath Correct. the screw. Yes, yes. Okay. So I've seen miter gauges that work similar yeah. to this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so the other one that I know of, and I have them, but here's the thing. I don't actually need them. I have the uh, TSO uh, GRC-12 self-aligning guide rail connectors, and I have them. I have never used them, and the reason <laughs> is because... <laughs> Well, I bought them, and then I was like, you know what? Why am I messing with this? Let me just go get 
ahead and buy the long rail. And I think I had bought these knowing that at some point, maybe if I had to go somewhere or transport, you know, having that 10 foot, I think I have a 10 foot long rail. I can't remember. But anyway, the point is, is that I ultimately got these just in case I had to transport two 52 inch long rails to go to site to do something. I have never used them. Uh, I'm so TSO site right now. What what do you have? It's a GRC twelve. It's it's just the self aligning guide rails. Um, oh, you're talking so, about the square things? No, 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 no. It, it it it's a connector. It's to connect two festool rails together. I want to say that it's very similar to the festool one, but I guess the tolerances are just. A little tighter. This is really exciting stuff here. As we're oh my goodness, the it's so fun. <laughs> uh, well, okay, there it, it is. See, that looks like it's just got. It looks like it's the same thing. It as the regular kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. What What does it do differently? It's still putting. It's got four screws in it that act as gib screws. And yep. it's just giving a single point of contact for each one of those four screws. While the new Festool piece has... So it, it's just got a keystone or a dovetail or whatnot. They call it a keystone. So you were correct in calling it a keystone. But yeah, it's got a dovetail in it. Just like... Uh, just it doesn't like look the, like it's any different. Not really. Than the original Festool one. The new festival one makes sense to me because you're distributing that pressure over a larger area instead of just the one contact point where the screw yeah. hits the. Yeah, thing. that that was that was always the problem. So I had I don't know where I got them. I think I got them used because yes, I did get the connector used because it came with the TS fifty five, and I had bought the TS fifty five from a cabinet shop that went out of business. And they came with those connectors. Uh, And I remember using them a couple of times. I'm like, this is terrible. (laughs) TSO ones? No, not the The TSO ones. The Festival ones. The original Festival ones. Yeah. So I guess the bottom line to all this is... Looks like the Festival ones are legit. They do look like they're legit. I'd really like to try them out. Um, Festival, if you're listening... Um, send him the guy. <laughs> send me a pair. Send a pair to Hui, and especially if uh, Sedge is listening. Yes, I don't know if he still listens. He used to at one time. He's, yeah, he, he uses. Yeah, I like Sedge. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen Sedge in a while. They, you know, they're right in Indianapolis. So yeah, um, send me a pair. I'd like to try them, and I'd like to talk about them on the podcast. <laughs> always, but they look. They I, I look like free stuff. Yeah, they look like they center properly. But, yeah, they look uh, like they, they do what they're supposed to do. All right, next one. All right. So this is an anonymous one, and it actually comes from uh, Okinawa, Japan. And he said, and this person, I don't know if it's guy or girl, but this one is for guy mainly, I think. But hey, open game for Hui or Brian to weigh in on these things. Uh, first, Japan is not great on space. Yes, we're aware of that. My shop is large and very disorganized. I run a side business making some regular woodworking projects, but mainly custom military plaques uh, signage 
the two and a half D carving type made possible by the Yeti and Shapoko CNC. Almost went full time, but my own disorganization, project management, and efficiency made things difficult. I haven't really been uh, set up to best handle slabs of local woods that I started using mainly in my projects. Slab milling to directional lumber. So he's got basically two sort of locations. He's got the shop layout. That's spot one. And What's that's a Yeti smart bench? So a Yeti smart bench is... Do I got to go to Google again? <laughs> you got to go to Google, man. So <laughs> I, I believe it's essentially using a workbench, like a... Uh, uh, two saw horses and then uh, a center brace along between the two workbenches. And then there's this uh, almost like, um, how do I explain it? It, 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 It's like a tracked CNC, but rather than using it's a portable C. There you go. I, I, I I, difficulties explaining as simply as you did. It was beautiful. That's a portable CNC. So his shop layout is he's got two spots here, right? So the first spot is that it's 10 by 12. It's a tin can shed. He he has his Yeti smart bench, which is a four, eight, four by eight CNC there. So he doesn't have a gantry or, or anything. Well, uh, yeah, actually, it is. No, there is a gantry. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a portable CNC, right? So yeah. he could pack it up. Uh, and then he has another location, spot two next to the shed. He's got a Craig bench, which is a 44 inch by 64 table holding the Shapoko XL or double XL. And then he's got a 12 foot miter station and uh, <coughs> an eight feet for miter last part open for bench sanders and grinders. So it looks like it's like a workstation, right? So he's got like the miter saw and then a couple other tools that are uh, attached to that miter station. He's got a router table, a DeWalt 745 table saw on a small cart, and a 12 by 20 CO2 laser mounted on a cart, which is 36 by 28. So the question is, I'm trying to save space and be more efficient. Have a chance to pick up a used Grizzly 10-inch table saw and new Laguna 14BX. I am 6 foot 5, and I remember a guy saying the, low saw, the saw is low, but it's the best bandsaw I can find right now. Most of my work is taking slabs and turning them into lumber for projects. Guy mentioned he would give up a table saw before a bandsaw. I can only find a Laguna 14BX in my area from a local online retailer which has a flimsy fence. So would anyone pass the table saw for getting more shop space or buy both and make it work? I think based on the stuff that you're doing, if you've got that work, the what is it, the Yeti CNC along with the Shapeoko, along with a bandsaw, I think for the stuff that you're doing, you're kind of set up. I don't really think you need to get the band, uh, the table saw. In fact, actually, I probably wouldn't get the Grizzly 10 inch and get, honestly, maybe. If you could get a better bandsaw than the Laguna because you're tall, it might be a little bit more comfortable for you. You can always elevate the Laguna. You you could lift it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Put a a lift kit on it, you know, put some big wheel. Anyway, Um, (laughs) I I think for your shop space and for your layout, uh, I don't see why you need a 
big table saw, like a, you know, grizzly industrial or commercial table saw. I think in this case, the bandsaw is really what you need to sort of rip that material down so that it can be a little bit more manageable on the CNC to do the dimensional work that you need to do, which is, you know, flattening and and whatnot. What are your thoughts on that guy? Based on, you know, he's doing plaques and things, a lot of military plaques, a lot of signage, two and a half D stuff. First of all, just reading into his question, I may be mistaken, but I don't think I am. This this gentleman sounds like he is uh, either formerly or is now active military. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. I would so, go there. Would thank go you there. for your service. Thank you. Yes. Uh, second thing is if you're just making plaques, the bulk of your work is making plaques. So you're not dealing with material that's really super wide when it's done. It may be like two feet at most. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. At most. And it's the length thing. Mm-hmm. I, I see the Yeti CNC being a um, an asset for when you have those one or two items that might need extra length. <sighs> Before you- I plunk down my hard-earned money on Laguna 14BX, I would look in the used saw market. I, I would I would have to almost. The thing is, even a large bandsaw has a small footprint. Yeah. They yep. don't take up a lot of room. They have the, the bigger industrial machines have a lot of more power requirements. But you can find some nice 24, 26 inch industrial bandsaws used that may be out there for. You know, more than the Laguna 14BXs, it wouldn't be new. It might require a little work. However, it might be a much better bandsaw for you. I'm not knocking the Laguna 14BX. I I think that's a really good saw for the money. Um, It's just too small for me. It's too short. I hear you. Um, I would still go with a bandsaw over the table saw any day of the week. You've got a band, you've got a table saw right now, and if you're ripping stuff like that, a bandsaw is a much safer, easier way to do it. Especially if you have if you have rollers set up and extensions set up and, and rough lumber. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I, I want to. I'd stay with the band. I'd I'd go with a bigger bandsaw and a smaller table saw. Yeah, I, I can't possible. imagine that he wouldn't be able to find a a. a good older used bandsaw I, I don't know what the market's like out there yeah who knows i know that some of the uh, uh what is it japanese okinawan uh youtubers man they got some like older antique machinery that they're running on and it's pretty cool to watch some of these videos of these yeah. guys using some of these like older machines yeah, huge like bandsaw ishitani guy yeah, he he's got a gigantic bandsaw. Yeah, and that's but, an old that's an old industrial machine. But yeah. that's that's an option for you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I'm still of the opinion that I'd rather have a, a better bandsaw than my table saw. Yeah, that's just I, me. That's not everybody. That's me. I I do like having my table saw because I like doing a lot of joinery on the table saw. Mm-hmm. But the but the 
for his situation, I think the bandsaw makes a lot more sense and a good big bandsaw yeah. with, uh, with plenty of capacities yeah. probably going to, you know, do a lot even, better. Even, even, if, even if he manages to find a 24 inch bandsaw, it's going to take up, a, it's not going to take up a bigger footprint than his DeWalt job site saw. No, no, not, not, not floor space wise. Now vertical space, I don't know about, but vertical space. Yeah. But floor space is really issue with most people. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I wish I had 12 foot ceilings, but whatever. All right. <laughs> all right. Back to you, man. So this question comes to us from Alyssa Gonzalez and it says, hi guys, my name is Alyssa and I'm new to woodworking and I have a fairly straight, I have a few fairly straightforward projects under my belt, including a crate topper to go on top of my dog's crate, a few blanket ladders and a mobile workbench and a spot for my Ryobi eight and a quarter table saw. Nice. <laughs> oh my. I'm working on box joints right now. Oh, oh, I've watched a ton of videos and made a lot of sawdust trying to make a jig and have been unsuccessful. I'm using a single blade with a curve of 0. 0.0665. What is that? 0. 0.665. That's a little over an eighth of an inch. But I can measure the blade and make several cuts and not get the same measurement between them all. So here's the problem. I'm trying to set up the spacing to be half inch, but I can't seem to get it right. The distance I'm off is small, but bringing my pin closer. So um, that's the end of it. It just ends right there. Anyway, so Elise, uh, box joint jigs that are homemade do not work really, really well. They're very hard oh. to tune in perfectly. And yeah. you're never going to get one to tune in perfectly. There's a really good video out by William Ng. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably, yes. gosh, it's got to be Ten five, years six, oh, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. It's been around for a long time where he starts going down in the thousands of an inch yeah. with a shop-made box joint jig. That kind of precision is possible. But I don't think it's possible with an, a Ryobi eight and a quarter inch table saw. I'm not knocking the Ryobi table saw by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just not precise enough to get down to that level. And the difference, the difference in about four thousandths of an inch, which is about the thickness of a sheet of paper, is enough not to make a joint go together. Yep. My recommendation is to get it as close as you can with those homemade box joint jigs, and then you'll have to do some manual manual tuning. Yeah, the, the best jig I've ever used. I'm not a big box joint person. I never was, but the only jig I've ever used that worked really well and really easy was the Incra I box. Here I go from Incra. Yeah, pushing that again. I did a video on that. And I tell you what, I had that thing. I still have it, actually. Um, boy, does it work well. Once you tune it in, you never have to tune it in again. You tune it in one time, you're done. And so, it just works really, really well. Have you tried doing it without the Incra? Oh, I've made box joint jigs before. Okay. For the table. So, so 
the issue I always had with box joint jigs that are made DIY box joint jigs is that the error that you get continues to compound itself yeah. as you go wider and wider yeah. on whatever box you're making. And so that comes into issue when you've got like, I don't know, a 10, 10 inch tall box that you're trying to make. The smaller the box, the, the error in the alignment of the joints becomes less noticeable, but it's still, I always had, man, I always had issues with it being like way too tight and then I tried to adjust it, and then it just comes out way too loose. Yeah. It, 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 it's just the product of the fact that you know you're you're trying to get these small little fingers right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like a finger joint to try to fit in, and it it, it you've just got to be so very precise with it. Yeah, and it, it you know you're you're when you're dealing especially with a shop made jig, it, it even makes it worse because that that piece of wood is constantly moving with the humidity of your shop. Yes, so it's just it's just really difficult. My my recommendation would be get them as close as you can get it, but you want them tighter rather than looser. Yes, and then just tune each corner to fit properly. Um, if you want to do box joints, I think that's, yeah. that's the way I would go. Uh, you, my, my advice to her is make sure you got extra material. Cause you're, you're, <laughs> you're going to, <laughs> because you're, gonna, <laughs> you're going to have to do one and, and you're going to have to like test fit it and test it and test it again until you get it just right on the money. And then just, Leave it alone, and then cut everything once and, you get it dialed in. And the next time you try to use it, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. I've never used a box joint jig twice. I've always had to remake mine. Because, because exactly what you said. They work then at that moment, and then... Then they get sloppy, and right. then they move, right. and everything else. Right. So, I, I mean, I remember making a box joint jig. Oh, gosh, this has to be like 93 94 yeah my table saw and spending like two days trying to get it to work and i said i'm never making box joints again yep and to the point of Inkra sending me that that i box jig to test out i had never made a box joint jig since then just for that reason right there i'm like what's the point i think i think there are a lot you know and there seems to be this like really, really big attraction to like really small box joints, like eighth inch box joints. Yeah. And then it just, it's just too difficult. It's yeah. too difficult. It really is. So All anyway. Right. Well, I hope that answers your question, Elise. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Probably not. Sorry. Uh, but, but we tried. So you got the next one, Hui. All right. So this is from Chuck Lovelady. He's a... Uh, regular on the show mm -hmm. uh so he says and i ask this because we're getting into the christmas season hey guys every so often i have a great excuse to buy a new tool usually a valid reason for my wife what tool or tools have you bought that you found more or less useful than you anticipated thanks chuck um <laughs> so I bought myself a tool recently. What'd you buy? Uh, I bought 
a Veritas shooting plane. It is purely because I want it. Because guess what I use to shoot ends since I didn't have one before now? Wow. A low angle jack plane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I don't know. I bought it. It's probably not going to be very useful, but like it's just such a beautiful plane for whatever reason. It's so odd looking and I yeah. wanted it. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, listen, I'm going to be using it to shoot ends. But I guess the reason why I'm saying it's kind of useless or less useful is because I already have a plane that can do that. But for whatever reason, it just I just wanted it so bad. And I've been wanting one for years. And I just was like, ah, I got a low angle jack. That's fine. No big deal. I'll just shoot the ends using that. Yeah, but that yeah. would probably be my less useful tool. What about the mo more useful tool that you're surprised you use it as much? That I'm surprised that I use it as much is going to be the Lamello biscuit joiner. Because I, before then, uh, if it was a long board that I had to edge joint, uh, I just used the domino. But the domino is just not as, I don't know. It's just it's not as forgiving. It's not as forgiving. Yeah. And dang it, man. Well, you got Ed that because all of my great biscuit joiner videos. Yes, I did. <laughs> and then, and now here's the thing. I, I, it's, I've never gone a project without using that thing. I use it almost every single project. Yeah. Every, anytime I have to do a panel, anytime I have to use any type of nosing, Anytime I have to do any type of face frame or anything like that, biscuit joiner all day. I think the biscuit joiner really, really shines for alignment. Yep. And the domino is more of a joinery tool. I agree. And yep. you have to you have to look at them in those two different things. But I agree with you. The biscuit joiner is, I, I find, is a very useful tool. I I, I still have my old Dewalt that I bought yeah. in ninety something. Now you have 90s. the Zeta P. Do you? Do you? Wait a minute. No, work has the classic X, right? Yeah. At at work, we have a classic X, and we have a, a Zeta, Zeta P two. Okay. Yeah, which we use the hell out of that thing. Yeah. For um, knock things down. that we knock down, not knock down stuff, but things we need to attach to each other out in the field. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That, that yeah. really solves a lot of problems and. When you have to attach, let's say, two halves of something that are 20 feet long, you know, right. two 10 feet long pieces, and you have to do them because you have to, anyways, it can it can cost you a lot more to, to create all the joinery to do that than to just slap a couple climaxes in there and yep, away you go. Um this is an easy answer for me. The tool I find that I reach for more than any other tool in my shop that I got on my 50th birthday. Okay. My wife got me was the little tiny solid bronze Lee Nielsen block plane. Yeah. I use that thing for everything. Sure, sure. It lives in my pocket when I'm out in the shop. If yeah. I got to trim just a little piece up, whip that up. Boom. If I want to yeah. shoot something, 
just line it up against something and start taking shooting the ends. Yeah, it's got a real thick blade on it. It's low angle. It just works so nice. I love that thing. It's it's easily the most used tool in my shop. Right on. One other thing that I use a lot too that I I bought as a luxury item. Uh huh. That just because I never had a good set before, I bought a good set. That weren't really that expensive, but a good set of screwdrivers. Yeah. Where Do you have the Willi? Weira. 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 Yeah. I have a Weira screwdrivers. They were like $50 for a set of screwdrivers, maybe $60 with the holder. I've had those things for a number of years, and they're just wonderful. Yeah. It's nice to have a good screwdriver that isn't all cammed out and crappy and yeah, yeah. I, I still have like Harbor Freight screwdrivers, and I've yeah. been wanting to get a nice set of screwdrivers. Yeah, I can and really thank you for reminding me. About it was, that. it was. You know, I've been dealing with that for you know fifty years. It seems like, and uh, a good set of screwdrivers is just tremendous. Just keep them away from the wife. Yeah. Are you familiar? Uh, I think it's a uh, Weha. W I H Weha. Are they good screwdrivers as well? Are as they? As I know, are they uh, sort of equivalent to Weira? I believe so. Okay, believe because so. I've been looking at them as well, and I've been wanting to get a nice set of screwdrivers. I need anyway. Now you got me thinking about. But since then, I've bought a bunch of Weira stuff. I've got you know a Wrenches bunch of. And, I've yeah. got a bunch of precision screwdrivers, a bunch of little metric uh, hex precision screwdrivers my son bought me a really nice uh, uh metric socket set for right my on. birthday um i've got a lot of wear stuff right now that's really good stuff it's not cheap but it's not crazy expensive either yeah and i think you also can consider the, the longevity of the tool too yeah. i think that makes a big difference yeah. so so what's so would you say that that's your least Less useful. That's just most useful. Most useful. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I have a least used tool. I probably do. Um, you probably do. I probably you know, do. You don't think you do? I can't. I don't want to say anything negative right now. Uh, <laughs> so okay. So I'm going to move on to the next question. This comes from Jeff, and it says, "Hello, all." This is an interesting veneering question. That's why I took okay. it. Okay. Right. It says, "Hello, all." I have a veneering question. I want to wrap an elliptical cylinder with walnut veneer. It measures 18 inches long, 16 inches tall with end radiuses that are four inches round. Four inches round is pretty damn tight. Yeah. The cylinder is made with stacked MDF. Each layer is cut in elliptical shape and stacked to my desired height. I don't have a vacuum press and MDF is notorious for absorbing solvents and waters. I've ruled out PSA back veneers since this will be adhered to the edges of MDF and most likely would peel away. I am hmm. thinking maybe two coats of solvent-based contact cement on the MDF and one coat on the veneer. I need an adhesive that will hold those radial ends. Do you think contact cement will be strong enough? And if so, Good recommendations. 
Also, should I seal the MDF before applying the adhesive, maybe with shellac or waterborne poly? I'd say lacquer, but concerned the solvent and the cement would have a negative effect on the lacquer. Seal coat, veneer hammer. No, <laughs> don't. This is not a, a good time for a veneer hammer. So I think I think you hit it on the head with one of these things, Jeff. Is that the any adhesive you put on there is going to rapidly absorb into the MDF? Yes, I've done a couple, maybe a half a dozen um, smaller round things, nothing four inch, but I've done That's some really small. Yeah, I've done a bunch of curved pieces. Yeah, not in MDF, but in plywood, and. I can't remember the name of the glue, but it is not a water-based um, contact cement. Um, but it's commercial. It, we got it, it. We get it from not from Sherwin Williams, but from Campbell, and it worked really well, really, really well. One of the things I would do to this. MDF, as I don't, uh, you could, I, you might want to use shellac, but if not, you could size it with just regular old PVA glue and water in a 50 50 mix and brush it on and put two or three coats that on, and that'll seal the end grain of the, uh, the MDF. Almost like sizing. No, that, that's not almost like sizing. That, it, it, is it is sizing. It is sizing. Okay, and you're you're sealing the the open pores of that MDF so that you you're the thing with contact cement is it's not viscous; it's very thick. Yes. So you roll it on. You don't brush it on. You roll it on. You have to because it's it's so thick, um, but it works really super well, and we used. Uh, paperback veneer whenever we use um contact cement okay and i've i've used it i said maybe half a dozen times on some pretty crazy pieces and it just it worked like a champ is that contact cement called cami c-a-m-i-e here we are looking on the internet here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really bad for what we're doing here. It's made from Cam. It's Campbell three ninety B contact cement and trim adhesive. I don't know where the heck you'd get this stuff. Where did you get it? Oh, uh, it's um commercial. Okay. I would think any type of contact cement, as long as it isn't water based. Okay. Contact cement would work well. So um, so. This stuff I'm looking at is for the upholstery industry, door trim, carpet, uh, metal, plastic laminates, wood, vinyl, foam. Contact contact adhesive is contact adhesive. I don't think okay. it really matters that much. Um, okay. But anyways, that's what I'd, I'd recommend doing. And I do exactly what you said, which is, um, to size or to seal the end grain of the, the MDF. And I, no, do, I just no, use contact cement. Use contact cement as the sizing, as the sealant, pretty much. 
Yeah, the thing you have to remember is that contact cement is, it's not forgiving. Once you lay it down, that's it. Yeah. So, so you have to really... I, I imagine if you were using shellac or some type of water-based poly or lacquer to seal, then maybe the contact cement wouldn't stick to that, would it? Or maybe, I don't know, would it? What's shellac? That? Well... Yeah, it probably sticks to a shellac. Okay. What about okay. water-based poly, though? If you were to seal it with that, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think I'd use anything that would be water-based in this situation. Um, okay. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm zooming in on this stuff. I know this is really exciting. Keep talking, we. <laughs> I got nothing to say. You just need to find the cement. ML Campbell? Is it ML Campbell? Yeah, it's ML Campbell. Campbell. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes the internet sucks. That and my typing. No products were found matching your selection. Maybe it wasn't ML Campbell. I thought it was. Huh. I can be mistaken. I know we get it from DSI. DSI is a distributor. Distributor, yeah. Anyways, well, I mean, get a get some type of. I don't think it matters if it's commercial grade or not. But I just I, even the stuff from Home Depot would be, I think, would be fine. Um, okay, but just don't get the water based stuff. And I think I think it'll work fine. You just got to be really careful when putting it on, and it's a uh, it can be a little white knuckle, especially if you got if you got a lot not a lot not a lot of money invested in the MDF. But you got a lot of time invested in making that. Um, You're making structure. that 16 inch tall stack yeah. of MDF, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> maybe, that helps, maybe make man. sure you got a couple extra MDF circles there. Yeah, so. I hope that helps you out. Uh, that would be my recommendation. So, Hui, what right. do you got going on in the shop? Man, I finished the sideboard, uh, put in the cock beating around the doors, uh, did uh, a hand-rubbed finish on it. It was just wipe on poly, but uh, after about five, six coats, I let it sit for about a week, and then I rubbed it out with uh, the furniture paste wax and some four out steel wool, man, it looks great though. Cool. Uh, yeah, really happy with that. And then I, I, over the weekend, I spent eight hours cutting out the corners of the rabbits for this uh, China cabinet door that has to have glass in it. And it's like 12 light divided uh, windows on it. And it's just, it was just a lot of cutting out of corners and I'm tired of it, and I'm so happy that it's over. So, anyway, what do you got going on? I actually got in the shop last weekend for a day anyways, and in a day I made cabinets for our laundry room uppers. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Some uh, so, white oak cabinets, huh? Yeah, white oak plywood, and they were framed, uh, frame face and... So I made the cabinets, I made the face frames, attached face frames, cut the doors and the shelves, edge banded. The, the, the doors are just going to be slab plywood doors. Gotcha, yeah. So I got basically everything up to the point of sanding, 
finishing. Yeah. So hopefully I can get them done in just one more, one more day. Cause I'm just going to put probably two coats of water-based poly, um, conversion varnish, conversion varnish on them. Yeah. Cause it's easy. Nice. And they're not, nice. they're, you know, they're, they're upper cabinets. And then I got to install them. I don't know how the hell I'm going to do that yet, but. You, you got a son, right? Yeah. <laughs> Call him. <laughs> oh, he's listening. He, oh, yeah. He's going to hear this. All right. So you hear that? that? You got to help guy. No, All right. He's, he's not going to help me. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so I, but I did get, uh, it was kind of nice. I haven't been out in the, the shop either at work or at home to do any woodworking in a long time. And it was actually really nice. Um, I was a little slow at first, but then it all kicked in and I just started moving really fast. Like I was, like I was at work. Um, I picked up a lot of very good habits working where I am now. Because you know, three years I spent pretty much by myself in that department building everything that wasn't a tabletop. And um, I built a lot of stuff and I had to do it really fast. So I, I didn't have any time to obsess over anything. It was just, okay, I got to make this. Okay, it's this big. Okay, I'm going to cut it. Okay, it's too big. I'm going to cut it again. Okay, now it's good. Okay, let's make this next piece. And it was just, there was none of this hand wringing yeah. going on and um, overanalyzing yeah. anything. There was no paralysis. Yeah. So I don't suffer from that. I at all anymore. And that's how I, I made, you know, by noon after, you know, three hours, I had everything cut. I had the cabinets and the face frames on these did cabinets. You, did you record hours. it? Did oh, you have hell, hell no. <laughs> that's hell why no. it went by so fast. <laughs> but still, you know, for me, you know, I'm, you know, 60 years old, you know, three hours building two cabinets like that. It's pretty, pretty good. I think anyways. Oh yeah, absolutely. So absolutely, I, think I wouldn't so be able too. to do that five years ago. It would have taken me a week. Yeah, because you wax poetic about yeah, the dimensions and everything. Yeah, everything's got to yeah. be perfect. No, I don't care. Yeah, it's got it. Yeah, cut it, glue it better. Yeah, screw it goes here. Okay. All I right. So you. I think that's going to do it for the show. We'd like to thank everyone who left us a five-star re- review on iTunes and sent us a question. Please send us questions. And um, those iTunes reviews really do help us in the search rankings. And, of course, we appreciate support and feedback. And remember that this podcast is here to answer those questions. So if you have questions you'd like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshop, woodshoplifepodcast.com. Wow. Or DM us through Instagram at Woodshop Life. And hopefully next time we'll have Brian back on. We hope so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube and Guy's Woodshop just about everywhere else, social media. Where can you be found at, we? AlabamaWoodworker.com. And you'll find everything that will link to social media and all the stuff that I'm doing there. Brian, where can you be found? Well, Brian can be found on Simple Cove. Remember our old host, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. Simplecove.com. Yeah. If you want to see Brian's work, go to simplecove.com and look up Brian Schmidt. 
So, all right. Very good. And uh, we'll talk to you in a couple. All right. Talk to you in a, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Uh, bye.